Chapter 12 of Dave Dashaway Around the World by Roy Rockwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 12 The Secret Told. Now then, Dave, we are all ready to hear that promised story of yours, said Hiram Dobbs. Yes, added Elmer Brackett. There's no danger of any spies or eavesdroppers in this lonely place. It was a lonely place indeed, half a week in time, and over a thousand miles in distance removed from the Chicago Aero Grounds, the three young airmen were taking a rest in the midst of a far-spreading Canadian forest. Right at the spot where they were camping was a knob or hill. At its bottom, a level stretch of some extent, there spread about a vast, wild swamp. This afforded a good anchor spot for the biplane. The comet rested on its base somewhat travel-stained, but staunch and reliable as at the start. The crew of the machine looked as if they had never felt better in their lives. Wind rain and sun had begun to brown them up like gypsies. Energy showed in their clear, vigilant eyes and confidence and ambition in every movement they made. They had just dispatched what Elmer had described as a royal feast, which sharp appetites had fully enjoyed. Then, each of the trio outstretched on the grass, they luxuriated in a restful position that a rigid posture in the comet during a day of hard traveling had not allowed. All right, fellows, said the young airman. I guess the time has come when it is safe for you to know what you have called a great secret. Yes, out with it, Dave, urged Hiram. I've been dying with curiosity ever since I got a hint that some big mystery was afoot. It is less of a mystery than an important piece of professional work, explained our hero. I didn't tell you about it at Washington because I was in doubt myself. When we escaped that explosion at Chicago, I was afraid it would unnerve and worry you to have a dread and uncertainty on your mind. I really thought something was going to happen to us at Winnipeg. It didn't. We're ahead or out of range of the enemy now, I feel pretty certain. To sum it all up, I hardly think we will be interfered with again, at least this side of the first coast station at Sitka. No, it doesn't look as if anybody would try to chase us through 3,000 miles of wilderness, remarked Elmer. Anyway, there has been no sign of it so far, said Dave. Provided that tramp monoplane we noticed at Winnipeg isn't sneaking around somewhere, put in Hiram quite seriously. Dave smiled and Elmer laughed outright with the words. That was all fancy. Was it? protested Hiram, getting excited. I tell you, that black-looking machine was after something... You two didn't see it as many times as I did. There wasn't an airman I questioned who recognized the machine. It was a tramp, a pirate, 
and you won't convince me that it wasn't hanging around purposely to make somebody trouble. Well, we missed it, if it was the comet they were after, said Dave. Now then, fellows. With a business-like air, Dave took from his pocket a box-like envelope. He proceeded to undo its flap. Then he drew out its contents. Just as his peering comrades expected, the young aviator revealed a heap of banknotes and a photograph. Hold on, Dave, interrupted Hiram, as his friend was about to speak. We don't want to hide anything from you. We have seen that money and picture before. Oh, is that so? asked Dave, in some surprise. Yes, and Hiram related when and where. No harm done, said Dave lightly. You are good, true chums. I see that. About this packet. Its story leads back to the day that a young lady in an automobile came up to our hangar near Washington. Her name is Edna Dean, and her father is General Dean, a man of some means. His son, Morris Dean, was a noted traveler and explorer. For over two years he has been missing. It was not until quite recently that his devoted father and sister learned that he was either dead or a prisoner. "'A prisoner!' exclaimed the interested Hiram. "'A prisoner? Tell me how and where, Dave?' "'In the heart of Tibet, thousands and thousands of miles away from here. "'It is a strange story, fellows, and a serious one.' It seems that young Dean, in his travels, ventured to enter the great sacred city of Lhasa. It meant death or permanent imprisonment, but he risked it. There he disappeared. His anxious father and sister know this, but nothing further. They tried to hire detectives and daring adventurers outside of that profession to penetrate to his place of captivity. Knowing the peril, none would go. It appears that it is almost impossible to reach Lhasa by land or water. Every road is guarded to keep out intruders. General Dean knew Mr. King. The thought came to him that an airship might accomplish what ordinary vehicles of travel could not. I see, said Hiram. That might be all right if it was simply a dive and a quick rescue. Which it will not be, replied Dave, for the information General Dean has gathered up as to the exact fate or whereabouts of his son is very vague. Well, as I said, the General went to Mr. King. Our old friend is laid up, as you know. He directed the General to us, knowing about the intended trip around the world. That little business lady, Miss Dean, came to see me. Then I went to her father. And he gave you all that money to undertake the search for his missing son? guessed Elmer. Not at all, replied Dave. He told me a story that not only interested me, but excited my sympathy greatly. A year ago, an uncle of Morris Dean died. 
leaving an enormous estate. The relative left the estate to a man who had been his nurse and private secretary for years. His name is Arnold Wise. It seems he is a perfect villain, and that is not putting it one bit too strong, I think. What about him? pressed the curious Elmer. According to the terms of the will, Wise was to inherit the estate, unless within two years Morris Dean appeared and claimed it. At the time he made his will, the uncle had about made up his mind that his nephew was dead. Suppose he turns up, or is found, inquired Hiram. Then, wisest to deliver the estate over to him minus one hundred thousand dollars which will be his rightful share the uncle left a note urging wise to seek for his missing nephew did he do it asked elmer yes he did and found out something the general and his daughter believe although he reported to them that young dean was surely dead long since they finally got to believing that Wise was wicked enough to think of having the rival heir put out of the way. Later events proved that he is a cruel, soulless man. This brings us to our old-time enemy, Vernon. Aha! He's mixed up with it, too, cried Hiram. You remember that you discovered Vernon lurking around the hangars that night near Washington? Yes, and later coming out of the house where the Dean family lived, added Hiram. Well, I am now satisfied that Vernon overheard my entire first conversation with Miss Edna Dean. Also that later he sneaked into Hampton Flats and probably overheard enough more to suggest a new scheme to that crafty mind of his. At all events, there was a faithful old servant of the dead uncle who had been retained by Wise. She came to the deans and told them that a man named Vernon had come to Wise and told him that the general was sending an airship expedition to find his missing son. I begin to see the light, remarked Hiram. From what happened later, proceeded the young airman, I am satisfied that some bargain was made between Wise and Vernon. I believe that Wise hired our old-time enemy to outwit us. I feel sure that it was Vernon who got somebody to run away with the comet. Of failing to stop us, he wired accomplices in Chicago to blow up the machine. We have gone so fast that he probably was not able to reach us at Winnipeg. He is undoubtedly supplied with plenty of money. I should not be surprised if he kept up his game of trying to block us all along the route. That, fellows, is the story. The money you see here is the sum of $5,000, supplied by General Dean to use, if necessary, to secure the release of his son. And the photograph, Dave? inquired Hiram. A keepsake, eh? Not at all, replied the young aviator. That, shown to young Dean, 
if we once find him, is a token that will convince him that we are sent by friends. Fellows, I know you are like me, willing to do all you can for a fellow being in trouble. It would be a grand humane act if we succeeded. The general places no limit to the reward, but I wouldn't listen to that kind of talk. Good for you, applauded Elmer. Say, I only hope we can find Morris Dean. We are going to try to, announced our hero quietly, but in a determined way. Get out the chart, Hiram, and I'll show you how I believe we can take in Tibet without seriously losing time in the race. Hiram arose to his feet to obey this direction when Elmer got up and began sniffing. I say, Dave, he observed, do you smell it? Smoke! There's a fire somewhere! End of chapter 12